The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Amazing, miraculous detail, predicting his coming and how he would come and where he would come. But it's also the scripture, the message, and all the imagery, and all the feasts, and all the sacrifice. All of that was pointing to Jesus over and over and over. So every time we read Amazing Story... Like last week, we saw Rahab hanging the red scarlet uh, thread from her window. uh, And we saw how everyone who trusted in God's provision through uh, Rahab was saved. If they came into the house, it demonstrated their faith. They were saved from the coming death. That's a picture of Jesus. God has provided salvation from the wrath of God through faith in Jesus' blood shed on the cross for our sins. And so every week, we see images that, that picture Jesus and the salvation that we can find only in Jesus. Today, as we see them crossing the Red Sea into the Promised Land, we or the Jordan River into the Promised Land, we see that we are, by God's grace, through faith in Christ, into the Promised Land of eternal life and His kingdom. And so, every week, we don't ever want to miss the point that it's all about Jesus. And the call is always there for us to take the step of faith to trust in Jesus so that we can have eternal life. But we also see that as believers, we are in a battle of faithfulness. Until Christ returns, we are in a battle of faithfulness. And this life is a life of faith. And what is faith? Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews 11 tells us, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's very important to think about. This life that you live as a follower of Christ, as one who has trusted in Christ, you live each day a life of faith, a life of conviction in things unseen. Most of the things that we live by as Christians are unseen. We can't see God. We can't see His promises. So much of what He has promised us is invisible. And so we need faith to be convinced and convicted of the unseen realities of God. And that's why we saw in chapter 1, the Word of God is such a valuable, important tool in our battle of faithfulness. Because as we read the Word of God, God reveals those unseen realities to us that we would not know in any other way. We can't learn these things through observation of His creation. That's inspiration and revelation, but it's general. Specifically, we learn in the Scriptures, the things of God... The plans of God, the purposes of God, the promises of God, the character of God. And then we learn He is faithful and He is trustworthy. And so as we learn His will, as we see the will of God laid out in the Scriptures, we gain confidence and courage to walk this life of faith. And that life of faith oftentimes requires steps of terrifying obedience. And that's where we come in our scriptures today in Joshua chapter 3. After chapter 2, we saw God's faithfulness. We come to 3 and we see, all right, it's time for Joshua and the priests and the people to be faithful. And they have to take their step of faith. Now, they are trapped at the edge of a river, a raging river. It's at flood stage. The author is intentional to put in parentheses, by the way, the river was at flood stage. I want you to look at this picture and it's going to bring back stark memories for one person in particular. Please put it on the screen. Uh, let's go a little closer. Yeah, a little closer. One more closer. And what you see, that's Mark Pearson crawling out of the truck. 
on that, no joke. So we were in Africa, and we had walked across this river several times because it was, it was drier. But we were there during the rainy season on this side of the river, not where you can see, not the far side. On the far side is the compound where we live, where we miss, do mission work all week. On this side of the river, where the, from where we're taking the picture, is where the airplane is to get home. And so we are lurching in two vehicles. Uh, myself, David Ham, and uh, Scott Adams were with Shannon because we were smart and got in Shannon's car. No, I'm kidding, because it just happened that way. We jumped in the car with Shannon, and he is the first to go across this river. He woke us up that morning saying, get up, get up, get up. Everybody get your bags packed. We got to go. I hear the river raging. The river was coming down the mountains because it had been raining during the night. And you learn these things when you live in Africa. And so he says, we have got to get going because we've got to get across that river before we, it floods out and we can't get to the airplane to get you all home. And so we rush and we get to the edge of the river and we were just sitting there, oh my word. And we pray, God, get us across. And Shannon said, that big tree that I'm aiming at is where there's a road under here that we've got to stay on that. And he get, downshifts it. The, the exhaust pipe of these land cruisers is up high so that it can stay above the water. And he hits it and we lurch into that river and it was terrifying. And he is down, he is driving it, and we get across the river. And there's a couple of times where he had to change gears. He missed a gear, and we thought, oh, my word, we're stuck. And he hit it, and he got it. And we sprung up on the river, on the banks of the river, and we all screamed and celebrated and praised the Lord. And then he said, now we've got to pray for Shannon, for Carrie, who's behind us. And we turn around, and we watch them lurch into the river. And quickly, they got off the edge of the road, and were right there, and it stuck. And that river, that water was not that high. It was down to the, about the door. And as we stood there, immediately when they went in, Shannon said, get out. And we got out, and he took off. And we didn't know if he was just, like, abandoning us or what. But he was like, I got to go. And so he was going to get help. That red truck you see back there was not there originally. And so he took off to go get that truck to go get help. And we're standing on the edge of the water looking back. And Mark and Carrie are in that truck. And that water is rising, and that water is rising rapidly. And that truck starts getting tilted under because of the force of that river is taking it down. And so we knew any moment that truck and they are going to be washed away. This was serious business. And so we started praying and asking God to protect them and take care of them. And then finally, it was like God just drove up in the biggest, ugliest, nastiest truck you have ever seen in your life. That big old huge monster truck was, I think they called the bog rat or something. And it drove across the river to go over there to get them. They got out and made a human chain locking arms. And they got Carrie out and they got uh, Mark out. And we were just so thankful. And then they drove that truck back over. But that day we learned how serious a raging, flooding river in Africa can be. And we saw trucks that were done. They had been there for four months. They were flooded out and had gotten caught in those rivers. So that's the situation the Israelites are in. And a whole generation, hundreds of years have been going by for this moment, for them to get across that river, to get into their land that God had promised them. And now they find themselves, hundreds of thousands of people sitting at the edge of this river. How are we going to get across to get into the promised land? And that's where we find ourselves in this text today. They are being called to take frightening steps of obedience. And we're going to consider the commands and we're going to consider the consequences of their obedience. Lord, I ask for your help this morning. I know that all of us here have terrifying steps of obedience that we need to take. 
And I pray that as a result of our study this morning, through your scriptures, through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the blood of Jesus Christ, that you will enlarge our faith. That you would give us courage to obey your commands and enjoy the consequences. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's not written chronologically, so I'm kind of pull pieces here and there. Let's look at the commands that we see in verses 1 through 6. First, we see three commands of preparation. I'll start in verse 1. He says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God, with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place. And go after it. The first command of preparation before they lurch into this huge step of faith of crossing the river, they have to a command of preparation. And that command is wait for the ark. Wait for the ark. When you see the ark, then you go. Now, I'm not sure that any of them really had to be told to wait, like they were just dying to lurch into that river, but. We do know from history, a generation before, they sent 12 spies into this land to check out the land. And the 12 spies came back and 10 of them said, no, we can't do it. Jacob, I mean, Joshua and Caleb said, yes, we can. But they listened to the 10 and they did not go into the promised land. And God said, because of your lack of faith, you have just forfeited all the blessings. You will not get to go into the promised land. Only your children will get to go in the promised land. They said, no, no, we'll go, we'll go. He said, no. They said, well, we're going. And they went without him. And it was disastrous. Because they did not have God with them. And so here he says, listen, before you go launching off pridefully, arrogantly in the name of God, you better wait on the ark. Now what is the ark? Well, the ark of the covenant we see from our first five books of the Bible up until this point of the story, the ark was the most amazing manifestation of the presence of God. In the ark, which was the center of all their worship, where the presence of God dwelt among them before the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They had the ark, and that's where God dwelled. And in the ark was the Ten Commandments, the tablets, the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. Wouldn't you love to see in that ark? That Ten Commandments was part of God's covenant with them at, at Mount Sinai through Moses to say, I will be with you as you go into this land, and I will bring about the blessings as long as you follow my will. You will experience the blessings of God. If you do not, you will experience the curse of God. And the Ten Commandments were part of that, symbolic of that whole covenant. They were put in that ark. Aaron's staff, the high priest of Israel, his staff, which had miraculously budded in the past to show God's presence with them, was put in the ark. And finally, manna from heaven was stored in a jar. What is manna from heaven? It's donuts from heaven we've talked about before. It's these pastries, these light, wonderful, scrumptious pastries from heaven that God rained down to them during their 40 years of wandering in the desert to provide for them as they had need. That was, they disappeared every night, but this jar full of manna had a jar of manna in it, and they said, put that in the ark. And so the ark contained a constant reminder of the miraculous provision of God. And it says, you do not dare go before God. You wait for the ark. But when you see the ark, that's when it's time to move. For the first command of preparation was to carefully wait on the miracle working God. 
Second command we see is in verse 4. It's a command to carefully follow the leadership of the Lord. However, he says in verse 4, There shall be between you and it, the ark, a distance of about 2,000 cubits or half a mile. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go and the understatement of a lifetime, for you have not passed this way before. You have not passed this way before. How many times do you feel that? Lord, I have never done this. I need you. So here they are commanded that when you go, you need to make sure you're about a half a mile away from the ark. And the reason is stated so that you will know the way to go. Now, practically speaking, we see that what that probably was was the Lord was going to go before them. And when the priest carried the ark into the water, the water would part it. And they needed to know where to cross. They needed to see where was the place that God was leading them to cross the river. And how Picturesque that is for our life. The Lord of God must be leading the way. And our role is not to lead the way. Our role is to carefully follow the way that he is leading. And so he commands them to carefully follow the leadership of the Lord. And third, and finally, the command of preparation, it says to consecrate yourself so that you may behold the wonders of the Lord. Look at verse 5. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And that word wonders in Hebrew is the closest word to our English word miracles. It's the same word describing the plagues that God did. And when he delivered them out of Egypt, he did wonders for all the people to see, for the nations to see, for God's people to see the wonders, the majesty, the glory, the power, the might, the the amazing wonder, worship evoking power of God is what's caught up in that idea. And he says, listen, for you to behold the wonders of God, for you to recognize my power, my strength, my direction, my miracles in your life, you must consecrate yourself. Now that word consecration comes again from the Pentateuch before you get to this part of of your Bible. If you're reading it like a book, you see that they were told as the people of Israel, anytime God's all-inspiring, holy presence of a God who is an all-consuming fire God, for that God to be in the presence of sinful humanity, he had to graciously provide a way for them to enjoy his presence. And that was his means of consecrating them. And it was included for them a ceremonial washing, abstaining from certain relationships and certain foods. God was gracious to say, listen... You are unholy, I am holy, and you cannot be in my presence and live to experience me unless I am gracious enough to provide a way for you to be consecrated, for you to be set apart, for you to be made holy, for you to be able to stand in my holy presence. And then and only then will you be able to see my amazing wonders. So in these verses, we see a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us on the cross. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we are sanctified. We are declared righteous. We are made holy in the eyes of God. He sets us apart 
unto his works and his purposes. And he fills us with the spirit of God. The very dwelling of God is not in a box. It's in our souls. He lives within us so that we can know intimately the presence, the power of God. And we can behold the wonders of God. And then and only then are we equipped to begin to launch out walking by faith. And we see the command to launch out and cross this river. In verse 6, we see the, the heightening of the suspense in the story, the way it's told. It's very jumbled and it's very interrupted. And, and you just get this sense like they're at the edge of the river. In verse 6, it says, Joshua spoke to the priest saying, take up the ark of the covenant, cross over ahead of the people. It's time to move. And so they took up the ark of the covenant and they went ahead of the people, not having any idea how this is going to play out, not being told the details of the results. They're just told, start walking the way I told you to walk. And then in verse 8, it says, You shall moreover command the priests who are carrying the ark of the covenant, the leaderships, the leadership of the people, tell them, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall... Stand on the edge and I'll raise a staff and I'll part the waters for you. It's not what he says. Look again. It's what you would expect him to say. That's what Moses got to do for Israel at the Red Sea. They got to see the land dry before they stepped in. Apparently that's not the way it's going to work this time. He says, when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here. Hear the words of the Lord your God. I want you to hear this. That's what God's word told him to do. Step into the river. The raging, powerful river that I have seen just about take that truck, a land cruiser, down without even trying. Verse 11, we see, he continues, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now, then, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. Then and only then the waters of the Jordan will be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. He says, you're not going to get to see it. You're not going to get to experience it until the soles of your feet touch the water. Here we see it's a terrifying step of faith for them. And we see the importance of the faith of the leadership of God's people. The people go as the leadership goes. If the leaders don't have the faith to put the soles of their feet on that river, then the people will not follow them. I wonder how many of us are in that same situation today. God has called you very clearly to do something. And it's just not logical. It's just not sensible. It's just not practical. And you don't have any answers when they ask, why would you do this? How will this work out? What are you going to do when you get to that point? And all you can say is, I don't know. I have no idea. 
Some of us have been called to make less money because God's called us to a certain work. And your parents just go, do what? That's, that's not why I invested in your college education. Some of us are called to adopt interracial adoption. And family members are saying, do you realize what kind of heartache you're bringing onto yourself? Some people are called to foster children. How could you bring troubled boys into your home when you have daughters? Some people have been called to do things that everyone around you is saying, this is foolish. This doesn't make sense. This is not logical. This is not practical. This is not sensible. But you know God has called you to do it. Some of us have been called to be radical. Excuse me. All of us have been called to be radical, sacrificial, generous givers to the work of God's kingdom and gospel ministry. But a lot of us are afraid. And I just want to testify. You want to see God. You want to see how real he is. Then stop disobeying in the area of finances. You commit to giving to the work of the ministry and God will provide, I promise you. And you will see him do amazing works in your financial life. What is God calling you to do that you are just afraid and you need to grow in your faith with God? Well, maybe considering the consequences will help you. Next, we see the consequences of their obedience. In verse 7, it says, Now the Lord said to Joshua this day, I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that just as I was, have been with Moses, I will be with you. Now look down at verse 10. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you. You can't see him, you can't touch him, but he is alive and he is working. And if you want to see him, then you've got to obey him. And he says, and that he will assuredly dispossess these people before you. How do they know these battles before him? God says, I will do that for you. I will do all kinds of great things in your life. Well, how do I know? Start obeying me now and you will start to see me. So the first consequence of their obedience is an increasing confidence in the presence of the power of God. Another way to say that is the first consequence of their obedience is the gift of faith. Faith, being assured and confident of the things unseen, the things that are hoped for, the things that God has promised, they grow. Your confidence, your faith, your certainty grows as you take steps of faith. Faith leads to obedience. Obedience grows faith, which grows faith and grows obedience and grows faith, grows obedience. And it becomes a life of bold, confident, walking in obedience to God. And he's real in your life. 
You're not sitting there floundering around with all these questions. God, show me yourself. You know he's real. He's the living God. And you have a living, dynamic relationship with him. And it's experienced one blind, scary, terrifying step of obedience at a time. Consequence of obedience is growing faith and confidence in God. And so they take their step of faith in verse 14 through 17. It says, So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, verse 15 says, And when those who carried the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan was overflowing its banks all the days of that harvest, the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up, in one heap, a great distance away at Adam and the city that's beside Zarethan and those which were flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And so the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood on firm, dry ground, Scott Adams. They stood on dry ground. They weren't trembling through with, with flip-flops in gumbo mud. They were standing on dry ground. He points it out twice. In the middle of the Jordan, while the Israel crossed, on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Yes, Lord. In these verses, we see another consequence of faithful obedience. Because they obeyed, because they took these terrifying steps of faith they got to experience the wonders of God. He said, you want to see the wonders of God, consecrate yourself, dedicate yourself to trusting and obeying me, and I will show you my wonders. For them, it was, it was miraculous. A unique, incredible event of drying up the river so they could walk across on dry ground. Notice also it says in that last verse, they, until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. That's the first time this group of people is called a nation. That is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise. God promised Abraham, your descendants will be a nation. And as they took their steps of obedience into that river, it says all the nation crossed the river. The same is true for you. The greatest gift God can give you is himself. And the way he does that is by increasing your faith. And the way he increases your faith is by testing your faith. Life in this walking with Jesus is a walk of faith. We do not live by walking by sight, but we walk by faith. And oftentimes it means we will do things that makes no sense to the people around us. But if God tells us to do it, he has a great gift. He wants us to know him more. To walk with him is to know him. And to know him is to walk with him. If you want the excitement of a real, vibrant, thriving, living, powerful relationship with God, start walking in obedience. And he will. Make himself powerful and real in your life. What has God called you to do? 
Stop living afraid. Don't forfeit the awesome, awesome privilege of walking with God. I want to invite Tori Pearson and Jordan Pearson up to share. Tori and Jordan took a big step of faith. I imagine it was a big step of faith. I know it was a big step of faith for mom. It was a big step of faith for her to come share. So they come up and share, and they went to South Sudan, Africa, and they're going to share a little bit about their journey, and afterwards we're going to watch a brief video, and that will conclude our time together. Thank you, ladies, for sharing. Look forward to hearing it. Hey, I'm Jordan Pearson, and this is my mom, Tori. Um, we got to go on the first trip North Ferry has taken over Christmas, um, and after years of hearing Tracy uh, and Jared talk about praying for the Karkamugi and uh, the Taposan people and seeing pictures from um, the Lewises on Facebook. Um, it was really neat to finally like put uh, the personalities and stories and, um, and families with uh, the faces that I've seen of like, okay, that are kind of startling of the piercings that they have and the scarrings that they have that's so different. Um, but to really realize that um, they're each individuals that are, souls um, that have worth and value um, that are just like us, just look a little different in different circumstances. Um, but um, so they're like actual uh, people with uh, individual personalities. Um, on Christmas Day, we had 1,500 people there, um, and it was an incredible group. Um, and, jeez, uh, Louise, I'm shaking this service. <laughs> um, I know, this is bigger than the last one. Um, Joseph, one of Jared Clary's uh, good friends that came to know the Lord years ago, was one of the most well-known deceivers and um, cattle raiders and murderers of the village. And he um, has come to know the Lord, and uh, he got to give his testimony on Christmas Day. And his mother, who is also um, one of the most well-known um, witchcraft doctors, witch doctors over there, um, she came to know the Lord, and she got to give her testimony also. And both of those were so powerful of amongst their village and their tribes. They have seen uh, Joseph and his mother live in that way of life and now come to know the Lord and have completely dedicated their lives to that and see that true transformation of um, how the Lord works. Um, and one of the Taposan pastors um, gave the story of Jesus being born from Luke 2 and uh, the gospel message and uh, there were 75 people who respond to the, responded to the gospel that day and gave their life to the Lord. And that was incredible to see. And over there, it's just so sincere and powerful. Of um, Then they split up into groups and uh, into like men and women and the younger children and go around. And um, the gospel is re-explained to them because so, it was an outreach thing. And some of them have never even heard the name of Jesus before. Um, and so then they like uh, prayed uh, their own prayer individually, um, and it just shows like how personal it is, like between them and the Lord. Um, so they uh, were really like there was a work in their life happening, and then they went around and uh, cut off their witchcraft, and their witchcraft comes in the form of like little charms on their uh, necklaces and stuff that they believe like will keep them safe and healthy and keep their cattle protected. Um, and that was a symbol of them cutting off uh, their old way of life and letting go of that once what they once believed and like trusted in. And their whole society is based on that and say, okay, now I'm following Jesus and I have a new thing to uh, place my faith in. Um, 
And so that's incredible of like the same thing here in our lives of things that we don't want to let go of. But once we follow Jesus, it's okay, Lord, now this is my way of life. Um, and it's, it was just so cool to see God so clearly on the move over there in each individual life. Of It's so easy for us to just kind of generalize that group of people that, okay, that now we're praying for this people that our church has partnered with. Um, but to realize, okay, they're each actually um, being worked in by the Lord over there. It was really cool. I agree. Um, it was a step of faith going. Um, of course, the river that Tracy was talking about, December is the hot, dry season. And so we were actually sitting in that river, which was just sand. And so it, it was a little different step of faith, but that was amazing. Um, if I just talked to you like Jordan did, I would ramble and want to tell you every detail of how everything felt and smelled. And so I wrote a few things down so I could just really, um, just tell you about the theme of the trip of what I just felt God doing. When I think about our trip to South Sudan, the underlying theme always goes back to relationships. It was so much more than being a tourist by taking pictures and just just coming back to tell what we observed. It was about a mother and daughter traveling over 49 hours one way to be with the Taposa people that our church prays for as a whole and getting to know them as individuals, especially the women and children. We went to the region of Karkamugi, the group Norris Berries adopted, and took part in the Bible study that Shannon has each week and then actually celebrated Christmas Eve with full over 450. It was unique from the previous teams of our men because we got to sit among the ladies on the ground and continue what Kristen Clary and Mary Harris had started um, a few years ago. But this visit was a little different than just camping with a group. We also got to live everyday life with Carrie and to be with their friends from the nearby village, to dance with them when they first came to welcome us, to buy their jewelry and wooden spoons that they made for us, to try and balance the large container of water on our heads that they walked miles with each day, to hold their babies and try to understand it's their culture to have family units with one husband and several wives, to go sit inside their little huts and feel so welcome in what they call their home, to watch their faces when Jordan did backwards flips and cheers, to watch a hundred plastic bowls multiple times in just three buckets of water so they could refill the bowls so 1,400 people could eat Christmas dinner that they had cooked over the fire. To then eat in those same bowls, sorghum, cow, and goat meat with our hands just like they did, and I actually shared a bowl with Jared. <laughs> To feel Carrie's frustration when they then carried her big pot home with them. To decorate Christmas cookies and tell them red is for the blood of Jesus and green is for new life. To do manicures together with a glow-in-the-dark nail polish. To walk and hold hands with the children as they sing joyful songs. To follow along in our Bible as they listen to their recording and their language during the ladies' weekly Bible study. And most importantly, to listen as one of the Taposan ladies asked for prayer for the families of the men from an opposing tribe who were killed 
during a failed cattle raid on their Taposan people. And then to share in Carrie's joy that her friends were praying for their enemies. Our time of getting to know the Taposan ladies give us a heart to love them and continue to pray for them personally. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.